You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We may or may not hear from Chris O'Brien. Supposedly, he's got his cell phone working well, but he hasn't gotten his internet yet. He's, of course, contacted the men in black, the Galaxy Protectors, to see if they would help him. Joshua Cutchin, who's our guest today, was telling me their stories now. They're going to have another Man in Black movie. What have you heard? Yes, I just saw this, uh, that Sony is looking to do sort of a sidequel. So not necessarily a sequel or a reboot or a prequel, but something set in the Men in Black universe. Um, I think that the details that I read were that they are eyeing a, a setting in, the, in, in Great Britain, which would be an interesting take, with Chris Hemsworth and a as-yet-undesignated uh, female Black uh, co-star agent. Uh, we'll see. You know, the Men in Black uh, series has been... I think uh, diminishing returns for a little while now. So we'll see what happens, how much, how much more there is to scrape at the bottom of that barrel. I actually well, liked the num- a number three, the one with Josh Brolin in it. That was actually pretty entertaining. I think that was maybe what my favorite of the all. Well, Josh Brolin's casting as, as a young Tommy Lee Jones is, is pretty, pretty inspired. So yeah, I definitely agree that there were some highlights to that. Now think about it here. We have Chris Hemsworth, who was known for, Actually, two roles now. The brief appearance as Captain Kirk's father in the reboot version of Star Trek. Thor, which some people like to call Thud if they don't like the character. <laughs> and now if he becomes a man in black. You know, I'm excited to see Chris Hemsworth flex his comedy chops whenever he gets a chance to do that. I mean, his, the, the Thor 3, he really exhibited a really good sense of timing. And in what few smaller comedic roles he's had, like the Ghostbusters reboot, which I thought overall was not very good, but I thought he was a bright spot in that. And also uh, the most recent National Lampoon's Vacation film, he was sort of a bright spot in that as well. He's got a good sense of timing, so he might be able to pull it off. We'll see. Yes, I've seen him do things. He is surprisingly funny, and you don't expect it because – he plays opposite that kind of character normally. So as a man in black, sure, what the heck? Stranger things have happened, that's for sure. Some people say, would he play James Bond? But I think that's totally against the character. Yeah, I'm not I'm not much for him as James Bond. I'm I'm more along the lines of rooting for someone like uh the uh, gentleman who plays uh, Rolo in the Vikings series—I can't remember the actor's name—but I think he would be a good—he uh, would be a good choice. Or uh, the gentleman who plays uh, Ross Poldark in the BBC Poldark series, um, whose name is also escaping me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's some there's some good British actors who would make a good choice. Uh, people have been, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, kicking around the idea, Aiden Turner, that's the Poldark actor. Um, people have been kicking around the idea of an Idris Elba James Bond, which I love the idea. He's my first choice if this conversation had started in earnest about 15 years ago, but I'm afraid that Hollywood just isn't going to cast that old of a James Bond these days. But, you know, who knows? I will mention one person that will surprise you because you've probably never heard of him. He's a British actor named Adam Rayner, and he okay. played in a TV show called Tyrant where he's part of the family of this Arabic, shall we say, despots. And he becomes, at the end of the series, a despot himself. And you see him with a beard. You say, this guy cannot possibly be James Bond. Except he also did a TV version of The Saint, playing the Simon Templar character. And you see him without the beard, and he seems to carry it off. 
And remember, Roger Moore did The Saint before he became James Bond. Well, and also, you know, I remember that there was a, a lot of backlash when uh, Daniel Craig was cast because, oh, no, he's blonde and he's, you know, he's he doesn't look like James Bond. And I would argue he's, you know, one of my favorite Bonds that have that have been out there. And he's too short. True. True. Yeah. There, there, a lot of people have this idea of what James Bond should be. And it's kind of interesting because in a lot of ways, he's just a cipher unless you really want to go back to the old Ian Fleming novels, which they really haven't had much fidelity to for a while besides just pilfering names. Well, so much for James Bond. I have no idea why we're getting into this. And we had you on 2016. Well, James Bond is sort of a man in black, isn't he? <laughs> James Bond, he's a man, a tux. Man in tux, yeah. But, you know, it's pretty, pretty unusual character. But he was more of a raw character in the book than he was in the movies. And we think of Sean Connery, kind of a hybrid, could be cruel but also very suave. And then we have a character like Roger Moore, who wouldn't even walk sometimes without using a stunt double because they didn't like the way he walked. He also didn't like guns. Hmm, I didn't know either of those. So I can't say he was an empty suit, but he just wasn't physically James Bond. He played the saint pretty well, but not somebody with that dash of cruelty. But what do I know? Timothy Dalton? I don't know. He wasn't bad. Maybe they should go with with something other than the typical British. Like maybe they should do something like uh, get something someone like Jet Li in there. You know, go go uh, kung fu. Oh please, you you, you don't understand here. This is the quintessential <laughs> British spy, and you can't have him being played by somebody who lives in Asia. Okay. Well. I'm sure he could play a British citizen, you know, just break this, break the mold or make it. If wasn't there some rumor that there was supposed to be a female version, Jane Bond, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's one of those things that's been kicked around for a while. Um, I think that, you know, I would like to see something a little bit different with the franchise at some point. It's shaking it up in some direction. And if it, you know, if it's, if it's casting in Asian British James Bond or, a, you know, a black British James Bond, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm all for it. You know, let's get away from James Bond because we really don't care about that. We care about weird foods from elves and space people. A little bit anyway. And we'll talk about your next book, Joshua. And as you probably have recognized, if you recognize voices from people we have Jay Randall Murphy as our guest co-host. So let's go back to kind of reacquaint our listeners to odors and foods and all this other stuff. Yeah, well, I, I had the, uh, perhaps in hindsight, not bright, because your, your life definitely takes a different turn when you make a decision to write books like this. But I had the, the, uh, the, the bright idea of the light bulb moment um, back in 2014, um, that there were some similarities between, uh, between uh, fairy folklore and the UFO phenomena um, that weren't being addressed. Um, you know, obviously, works like Passport to Magonia and people like Keel um, had talked about uh, had talked about the, some of these similarities before, but there was one specific area area that people had really denied, and that was uh, the uh, gifting of food, the food and drink offerings of fairies and aliens, and how those uh, those sort of overlap and correspond. And you know, has anybody ever done 
a survey and analysis of this. And when I, you know, became very apparent that no one had, um, I sort of sat back as someone who's interested in the unexplained and said, okay, well, somebody's going to, somebody's going to write this book. And I waited a couple weeks and I waited a couple months and I said, yeah, nobody's going to write this book. <laughs> so I, uh, I took it upon myself, uh, as part of my, part of my exit strategy from my day job. Um, part of it was, uh, sort of writing and part of it was also, uh, you know, being a going ahead and going in all in and being a full time musician, and uh, I went ahead and put together uh, my first book, A Trojan Feast: The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch, which uh, is the first book of its kind to really look at these uh, disparate areas and to sort of find the similarities between not only how these foods are given, but the types of food that are given and why this remains a persistent motif that you'll find um, even through you know the abduction era. Uh, if you look at sort of the UFO lore, food offerings happened, you know, uh, some during the contactee era, you know, Orfeo Angelucci is probably the most famous of those who received this golden nectar that gave him these strange, uh, psychedelic almost visions. Um, but it takes little imagination to, uh, to see how some of the force feeding and some of the injections in modern, uh, abduction lore, uh, sort of have that same quality as well. Let's get some more of this. Joshua Cutchin, guest co-host is Jay Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Hello, my name is Marjorie Wildcraft. I'm the founder of The Grow Network, which is an online community of people who produce their own food and medicine. We are really into backyard self-reliance. If you want this lifestyle, I suggest your first step be to learn some basic home medicine. Just the other day, my 18-year-old son came to me and said, Mama, I got a sore throat. Can you fix me up? And I said, Sure, Ryan. And in about 24 hours, he was better. The best home medicine for you to start out with is garlic. It's an amazing natural antibiotic, and I can show you how to use garlic to handle ear infections, sore throats, colds, and flus. As a way for you to get to know a little bit more about me and the Grow Network, I've written up an easy introduction on how to use garlic. It's at gcnwellness.com. Now, the station manager told me that I needed to say the URL at least twice, even though it feels kind of weird. But if you're interested in backyard self-reliance, you are one of us. Go to www.gcnwellness.com and let's connect up. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. 
choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. I tried other brands, but I came back to my sunshine. For the best hot or cold pain relief, get the best. Get a Sunny Bay heating pad. Sometimes life can be a pain in the neck or back or shoulder. And the best relief for that pain is a Sunny Bay heating pad. Did you know that the American College of Physicians said that one of the best ways to treat muscle pain is heat therapy? Sunny Bay heating pads are handmade with high quality, can be used at home or at work, and have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy. Why take another pill? Many people use our Sunny Bay heating pads alone and got rid of the neck pain. Long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on your body. See why our homegrown small business at sunny-bay.com has tried to help people just like you. Get your Sunny Bay heating pads at sunny-bay.com. That's sunny-bay.com. Or call 253-678-1361. For hot and cold therapy, sunny-bay.com. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So Chris O'Brien is waiting for internet. I tried to contact him on his mobile phone, and that didn't seem to work so well. Joshua Cutchin who's author of The Brimstone Deceit from 2016. And we're going to cover some of it again and bring you up to date. And he's got a new book coming out this summer. He won't give up on it. Now, (laughs) I wanted to mention an email that I got from a regular listener who said, quote, Gene, I enjoy the Paracast, but I wish you would have more shows about other aspects of the paranormal other than UFOs. At least for me, I'm tired of hearing about that topic nearly every week. Well, we haven't been covering it nearly every week lately. I mean, last week we had Red Pill Junkie, of course, and he was relating UFOs to other paranormal mysteries. And that's part of the issue that we're even discussing right now. Can you say all these paranormal thingies are totally different? In which case you can put UFOs here, Bigfoot here, ghosts over here, etc., etc. Or do they have resemblances? Are they connected in some way? So a sense here, can we separate the various masters of this phenomena instead of being lots of separate things? But, you know, they're all related in some way. But the question here I have here is, and this kind of just brings us back, why odors? Well, I think of sulfur, the odor of burnt sulfur that somehow heralds some kind of weird experience. 
Well, you know, I think that I think that part part of the reason that the UFO gets so much attention is because it does seem in a lot of ways to be a bit of a uniting uh, motif in a lot of these different things. I mean, you'll see you mentioned this sort of ad nauseum with uh, with your appearances with Red Pill Junkie, but you do have similarities between the near-death experience and what could be called ghost phenomena and UFOs. You have similarities. Uh, you have events where Sasquatch has been seen in proximity to or during a UFO flap. I think that if you are being intellectually honest, you have to admit that there is some sort of connective tissue between uh, all these different things. If you're assuming that there is an objective reality to all these different things, I don't think that all of Fortiana or the unexplained necessarily deserves equal attention because some of it's kind of, I think silly and some of it's the product of the internet age. But if you look at the storied traditions, if these are not all the same thing that we're looking at, the Venn diagrams overlap a good deal. And uh, that's really nowhere better represented than in the smell of, of sulfur. So that was my 2016 book, The Brimstone Deceit, which I was sort of amazed that no one had taken the time to put forth an entire book on just paranormal smells. I mean, there had been a chapter here and there and a study here and there and a, a flying saucer review article here and there and a MUFON journal article here and there, but nobody had ever really given it the long-form treatment. The book primarily looks at UFO smells um, – Bigfoot slash Sasquatch smells and ghost smells, not just sulfur, as the title implies, but all sorts of smells. And there's a lot of overlap, again, between all these. But one of the connecting things is this persistent smell of of brimstone or sulfur. And you find this, obviously, in like not only in you know cases of demonic possession and those sort of cases, but in just mundane ghost cases, you'll find this. You'll find uh, sulfurous smells, specifically hydrogen sulfide, in a lot of Sasquatch cases, and it's one of the more common uh, UFO sighting odors as well. And as you go down, you'll see that it's common in, in what few uh, fairy accounts mention a smell. You can sort of find the similarities there as well. Men in black, uh, black-eyed kids, you'll see this sort of motif of sulfur of decay of entropy across all these different phenomena that to me i, I found was I, I thought was a you know pretty fascinating connective uh, clue as to what might be going on here again i'm not sure what is going on but i'm just trying to see where these little bits and pieces of what seem to be disparate phenomena overlap well i'll tell you a quick story which is apropos to nothing but that's what people say about me all the time he's apropos to nothing and that is when I was a kid, maybe eight or 10 years old, I went through a period where I kept smelling sulfur or something like sulfur, that kind of foul odor. And it seemed to persist when I was walking in the street, mostly with my family. And after a few months, it disappeared. I also had weird dreams at the time, recurring dreams where I'd see this large, dark object speeding towards me. And then just kind of overwhelming me, and I wake up in a sweat, kind of a recurring nightmare. And I remember them as happening around the same time. And then stopped. And well, it never of, happened again. Well, part of what you have to sort of break down is sort of exactly what you were smelling, because sulfur in its own pure state actually is, is odorless. It only starts to smell if you actually ignite it, which creates sulfur dioxide, or it's in the presence of hydrogen and creates hydrogen sulfide and decay. So is this more of a firework smell or a rotten egg smell? Probably closer to rotten eggs, and I've never liked eggs. <laughs> well, um, you know, whenever, whenever you have, you know, biological material 
decaying in the absence of oxygen, you're going to get this hydrogen sulfide uh, odor, which is why, you know, it's inside a rotten egg. It smells that way. And that's that really is hydrogen sulfide is the most common of the two compounds uh, that are smelled, although, you know, again, both are are smelled. But, uh, you know, there are numerous reasons for that. I mean, you can't deny the fact that, uh, you know, if, if uh, as I recall, you grew up in 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 uh, Brooklyn, Bronx, Brooklyn. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's it's entirely possible that it could have been venting gas from a sewer. I mean, that's, again, you have decay in the absence of oxygen under the water of, uh, you know, human waste. And that's a very common smell in those settings. Um, it could be the smell of, you know, of, of, of trash or dumpsters or, you know, barring something like that. That's, a you know, a mundane explanation. There is a, a recognized phenomena in science called uh, called phantasmia. Where uh, people uh, smell smells that aren't there. Now, unfortunately, amongst the ghost hunter groups, um, this people have have said that phantasmia is the smelling of uh, a, a smell that doesn't have a source. And they say, oh, phantasmia, if you smell something, that means a ghost. Well, that's not exactly what phantasmia is describing. Phantasmia is a psychological condition wherein one person, for whatever reason, smells uh, something that no one else can detect. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that that might, you know, that sort of that sort of uh, 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 condition might come and go. Well, it like I said, came at the same time I had these recurring nightmares, and left the same time. I don't recall the odor being specific to a specific street. Remember, I was living in an area with tenement houses, small apartment buildings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the Brownsville section. The only thing I can say now is my parents probably paid fifty dollars a month rent for this two-bedroom home way back when, thousands of years ago. It has since been rebuilt according to Google Earth. And it looks new. It looks like it was the same place built possibly in the 1930s or something. And I imagine now if you tried to rent the place, assuming it's still four families or four units, it would cost you $3,000 a month minimum to show you how things are. Hey, we got more to come, trying to separate what Gene's odors are, and don't say what you think you're going to say. More to come. Joshua Cutchin with Gene and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today haven't experienced yogurt until you've tried a mossy embodying health and flavor in a true whole milk green-fed dairy beverage every sip pays homage to our old world cows and the ancient culturing methods their milk benefits from with over 30 probiotics a mossy's undeniably nutritious refined cultured sensation bolsters your health and awakens your passion for dairy a mossy so good and you need to try it contact your longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to gcnteam.com Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Hello, my name is Marjorie Wildcraft. I'm the founder of The Grow Network, which is an online community of people who produce their own food and medicine. 
We are really into backyard self-reliance. If you want this lifestyle, I suggest your first step be to learn some basic home medicine. Just the other day, my 18-year-old son came to me and said, Mama, I got a sore throat. Can you fix me up? And I said, sure, Ryan. And in about 24 hours, he was better. The best home medicine for you to start out with is garlic. It's an amazing natural antibiotic, and I can show you how to use garlic to handle ear infections, sore throats, colds, and flus. As a way for you to get to know a little bit more about me and the Grow Network, I've written up an easy introduction on how to use garlic. It's at gcnwellness.com. Now, the station manager told me that I needed to say the URL at least twice, even though it feels kind of weird. But if you're interested in backyard self-reliance, you are one of us. Go to www.gcnwellness.com and let's connect up. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. So we're exploring... Strange odors, phenomena that seems to relate to many possible events, not just UFOs. With Joshua Cutchin, author of The Brimstone Deceit and another book he'll be mentioning shortly. I want to remind you also about that other radio show called After the Paracast, where you never know what's going to happen next, and we don't either. And you get that, the version of this show free of network ads and more, if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus Somebody on YouTube said, gee, I can't afford any more luxuries. And I reminded him, it's $1.49 a week. That's it. Or $4.99 a month, et cetera, et cetera. Go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. 
And we're looking here at different kinds of odors. Now, in looking at odors, do you also look at strange foods in connection with paranormal events? Odor and uh, taste are so intimately connected, you have to sort of address that. You know, I, I feel like the, the subject got tackled a good deal with, with uh, a Trojan feast, so I didn't spend too much time in the second book on that. Although uh, it is interesting how we perceive flavors when we are uh, told certain things. So there's actually been some studies that have been done wherein if you are blindfolded and someone tells you that you're drinking an orange drink and you're handed a cherry drink, your immediate first reaction, your first tiny sip, the tip of the tongue will be that it is actually um, an orange drink instead of a cherry drink or, you know, vice versa. So a lot of times we use context clues to sort of help us guide these more, um, I don't want to say liminal sense, liminal senses, but it's kind of that. They're not very definitive. They're they're subject to interpretation. Uh, a similar study um, presented uh, people with uh, Parmesan cheese under their nose that they're blindfolded. If they're told that someone was sick, they they indicate, they think feel like it's vomit and they pull back. If you tell someone that you're cooking Italian food tonight, they're going to be excited about it. I saw a magician who uh, had a similar video pop up on Facebook where he was blinding people and telling them that he was going to burn them with a match, a lit match. And what he would do is he would he had them blindfolded. He, he lit the match so that they could hear it. And then he took an ice cube and pressed it to their arm. And people would draw back within seconds because their context was that this was actually, you know, a burning sensation when it was actually a, a pretty innocuous freezing sensation. So the point here is that the visual clue is very much part of the taste experience. Yeah, I mean, the taste and the smell experience. On the other hand, you know, you had a lot of philosophers um, from, you know, the 17th and 18th centuries who felt that smell was beyond reproach because it's sort of like the old adages of the nose knows and arose by any other name. This idea that that smell is impartial and, and isn't as open to influence by, you know, visual stimuli. Although I think that, you know, modern olfactory science, modern taste science proves that that's not quite the case. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've expected one flavor and I've bitten into something and I've gotten a completely different flavor and it sort of freaked me out. And I think those ideas of expectation and, you know, other data, I think that has a, a very strong statement to say about, the, about how we interpret, uh, you know, anomalous events. Exactly. So, okay, so maybe what we have in some cases then is some sort of cultural association that activates the imagination of a person who's aware of it, who then sees something out of the corner of their eye that is then interpreted as whatever that thing in their imagination might be. So, like, you know, maybe someone's walking down the street, there's some sewer gas or there's some smell from something, some industrial thing off, and then that makes them think, oh, my God, demons, and then you know, some dog runs by in the shadows and it's, oh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a demon coming. Right. And it's, it's cultural priming. And, you know, this has sort of been hijacked, I feel like, by the, not to get too critical right off the bat, but I feel like this has sort of been hijacked by the ufological establishment by looking backwards and saying, look at these, you know, these primitive people. They saw, you know, these extraterrestrials from the stars and they interpreted them as gods and fairies. And I think that uh, it's just as fair to flip that on its head in the other direction and say, you know, what if we're interpreting these much more anomalous, much more, for lack of a better term, spiritual phenomena? Not spiritual in the you know reductive Christian dichotomy of good and evil, but rather in the sense of an ecosystem of spirits that might exist. What if we are interpreting that through a ufological lens? 
I don't think that there's a definitive answer either way, really. Um, but I think that too much attention is given to reinterpreting events in the past through ufological lens without giving credence to the idea that we're interpreting things in the modern era through our, our UFO lens when actually it's something completely different. Well, th- then again, what we're getting is, on one hand, there's there's a direction to this. As we move forwards and people become better educated and we start to think of what might be a reasonable explanation for these fantastic experiences we're moving away from the magic and towards something that we could conceivably make rational sense of so i i think that there is a a direction to this and i think that it's reasonable for us to be going in that direction as opposed to the other way which is kind of backwards uh yeah so i i um i i listened to the to your conversation with red pill junkie which was a great a really great conversation. I feel like I'm completely open to the idea of extraterrestrials in a sort of materialist framework, but at the same time, I don't think that has really gotten us anywhere substantial uh, in quite some time. And this is actually what my part of what my um, reframing the debate essay was about, which was about you know this idea that uh, we're already seeding ground, we're already giving up ground to to the non-materialist interpretation of reality. I mean, by merit of the fact that most nuts and bolts ufologists will say telepathy is something that happens in these encounters, well, then you might as well practically throw all of materialism out the window because there's no mechanism uh, that can fit into the materialist paradigm that accounts for that. And if you're going to throw out materialism, then it opens up a lot of additional possibilities. And we have to remember that the materialist viewpoint is something that has been popular in a very, very small amount of human history. And that even today in the West, we sort of live in this insular bubble that uh, scientism and materialism are the only games at play, but we are still sort of a a small sliver of the population of the earth that interprets um, a lot of the world in a much more uh, sort of animistic much more um, spiritual sort of dimension. Again, this isn't to say that that by throwing out materialism, you're throwing out science. To the contrary, it's just saying that this current current understanding of the fact that things have to be physical is not um, is not always the best, most parsimonious way to explain certain phenomena, especially when they fly in the face. The data flies in the face of that sort of uh, uh, ethos. But then we're getting kind of into a dualism discussion where, okay, on one hand, you've got a physicalist point of view, and there's a number of different ways of looking at that. Um, I'd pro- you'd probably class me as a physicalist in, in that I believe that there's a physical explanation in the sense that there are rules to the universe that apply to the things that are material. So physical and material aren't necessarily the same, but there are rules that come into play and when we identify those we can we can make and measure things that take place Uh, and we can do that to some extent with mental phenomena 
But the other side of that is the mental phenomena. So we're either talking about something objectively real with a physical explanation, as in, let's say, what is a mental phenomena composed of, or we can say, well, what is the experience of the mental phenomena? So which are we talking about? Are we talking about something that is purely a construct of someone's mind, or are we talking about something that's objectively real? Well, um, you know, I think I think that there are a couple of things to sort of pull apart there, um, and and I agree with you. Like we're 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 using the best toolbox that we have, and that's what science is. Is it is the best toolbox that we have. But sometimes I wonder if certain ideas in physics are less rules and more along the lines of guidelines. You got Joshua Kutchin, author of books about strange odors, strange foods. I can always change my diet. That doesn't hurt. Do that sometimes. Jay Randall Murphy is our guest co-host. You're in the Berracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com, virtual care anywhere. 
Does the current world crisis in North Korea or our domestic crisis right here in America concern you? Well, I know it concerns me. My friends over at Legacy Food Storage have solutions in the event there's the inevitable. What's the inevitable? Civil unrest, a run on your local grocery store. And here's my question to you. If this happens, how do you feed your children? How do you feed your grandchildren? Legacy Food Storage has the solutions. In fact, they can help you implement a simple plan to take care of your needs in the event of the inevitable. By calling them right now, I have authorized them to give you a special 20% discount at checkout by simply using GCN. Call 888-543-7345 or visit them at LegacyFoodStorage.com. That's 888-543-7345 or visiting them at LegacyFoodStorage.com. Make sure you use GCN at checkout for an incredible 20% discount. Don't be a victim. Take control of your life now. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. We have to put him up there with a lot of the others. <laughs> Our top person right now is Red Pill Junkie, and we've always had good performance when he's in the mood. From Nick Redfern, you're way up there, I'll tell you. All right, guys, <laughs> we'll continue here looking about the one thing that is most interesting about this, and this goes back to the letter from one of our really loyal listeners who says, I'm just tired of hearing about UFOs. But then suddenly, if it's all related. But you see, there's also an ego involved here. We like to think that what we know now must be superior than what we knew then. So whatever we thought of this kind of phenomena back 300 years ago or in 1897 or whatever, what we know now is the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a constantly moving target. Now, that isn't to say that we can't, <laughs> to paraphrase a public figure from a while back, go to war with the army we have rather than the army that we want. But I, I still think that we should be cautious of, of how um, progress is viewed in terms of, in terms of scientific understanding. Uh, I think the point that I was trying to, trying to, elaborate on and before the before the break which i didn't really do a good job of is i i think that um you know sometimes uh, what we consider the laws and rules of the universe might be more flexible than we account for i mean you might say that it's it's sort of a law that if i rest my pencil on my desk it's going to stay there but as the admittedly reductive point is often made in you know high school physics classes if somehow the atoms in one object could align in the with the atoms of another object in a precise way because there's so much you know empty space in an object between atoms that it could conceivably fall through it so i think that this idea that the universe functions like a clock is a little bit a little bit reductive for me and the idea that 
if it can't happen in a laboratory, it's not a thing is, is something that I'm, you know, I'm sure that it, all this, all the listeners of the Paracast will empathize with. I mean, you don't measure tides in a wash basin and you don't measure a quarterback's uh, performance on a treadmill. You just, you know, you just don't. I think that one of the things that is tearing down the materials establishment in a good scientific well-reasoned way is some of the sci phenomena research that you see. The Dean Radens, the Rupert Sheldrakes, the Daryl Bims, oh, the guy who was at uh, University of Virginia who did reincarnation research. I mean, which whose name is escaping me right now. But um, these are the sort of people that I think are really sort of trying to help us to re-understand that something that is a completely interiorized phenomena like our consciousness, like um, – like our our mind rather than our brain can have a physical effect on the world. I mean, if you look at, you know, sort of the Aleister Crowley definition of magic, the very act of picking up your pencil is an act of magic in the real world because it was a thought that you had that you willed into reality. So in that sense, you know, every time we go into the cinema, we're seeing magic. This is an idea that someone has had that they have made, they have manifest, they have manifest as a physical objective presentation. That seems to be kind of more an interpretive thing on a subjective level. I mean, one could just as easily say it's an intellectual accomplishment. There is a history to film, there is a science to film, and there's a way that it works, and it has to work a certain way, or it just doesn't work. You can't just magically make it work. You have to have a projector, you've got to have light, you've got to have all the materials in place. Otherwise, it just won't work. I think the guy you were thinking of was maybe Stevenson. Yes, Ian Stevenson, exactly. Yes, thank you. Right. I looked into those claims as far as I could just with the information available on the internet. And some of that's pretty interesting. But there are still gaps where there needs to be a leap in logic made from the assumption that there's some memory that seems to correspond to those of a historical figure and saying that that person who has those memories is now the reincarnation or is that person in some say child's body. There's some real philosophical and critical thinking gaps there. I would agree with that. I think that that is by far of the people that I mentioned the most uh, anecdotal because you have to have a working concept, a working you know framework through which to interpret these reincarnated uh, birthmarks and whatnot. So yeah, I, I, I will totally totally agree with that. I think that his work is compelling and interesting on a, on a um, an anecdotal level. But if you look at some of the people who are operating with you know pretty strict pretty strict scientific rigor and are meeting that seven sigma threshold. I, th- I think that's that's sort of a, a different ballgame there. There's some interesting stuff, and, and I wouldn't discourage the research, but I, I do think that we need to maybe step up our skeptometers a little bit and make sure that when we hear these claims that we do look into the background as much as possible. Like we have the near-death experiences and we have people who claim that, well, they were clinically dead and yet they remember things that happened in operating theaters. And those are fine anecdotes, but there are explanations for that sort of thing. And there is one study where they've taken a device that displays messages and put it up out of the view of the patients in an operating theater Uh, precisely for this experiment uh, in a cardiac operating suite, hundreds and hundreds of patients, none of them were able to say what that message was. So uh, there's really no evidence for 
the actual taking place of somebody rising out of their body and experiencing something from a, a remote distance. There's no, there is no uh, laboratory controlled evidence or the laboratory controlled evidence is weaker. Yes, I will agree with that. Um, you do have occasionally, you do have a vertical uh, confirmation of some people who have seen or experienced uh, events in completely separate rooms that I find are really compelling. But again, we're talking about the anecdotal stuff here. I find it interesting when you have somebody, well, I mean, again, he's somebody that I think is really in a lot of ways a is doing a great job. Someone like a Rupert Sheldrake, um, who is really doing his level best to conduct experiments with uh, scientific rigor and is finding that, you know, his famous pet telepathy work where despite randomizing return times, despite randomizing types of cars, distances, etc., dogs tend to rush and wait by a window or a door when their owners start the return journey. I mean, he's if you look at that research, which has been attacked quite a bit, but attacked in some pretty dishonest ways, I, I, I think that it's compelling that there's something there. And, and again, like that, what does this mean? Does it mean that we are all playing out a script that we're all we've all been given? You know, is this is, is the idea of fate? Is the idea of uh, is someone seeing something in a a separate room of the hospital? Is that because they were near death and they levitated out of their body or their, you know, remote viewing prior to it, prior to the event, you know, the remote viewing into the future or any number of things. I'm just, my thing is that if any one of these things are possible, coupled with, you know, a lot of the talk, the, so the consciousness research coupled with quantum physics research, which I am in no way capable of, of, uh, of discussing because I think that I'm going to leave that up to the physicist. You know, but I want to throw one thing out here. The words, Quantum physics are sometimes used as a dodge. Hey, it's totally some agree. new scientific thingy or other. We'll call it quantum physics, and then they can just drop the subject because they have no idea what they're talking about. That's part of the reason that I don't like to talk about it because I—that's not you know—that's not really in my wheelhouse. Um, but I think that if if any one of these things is has a has a shred of of, of truth, then it completely brings materialism down like a house of cards. How do you figure that? See, I don't see a disconnect there. Let's suppose that we have something like we're able to, let's discuss telepathy. All we're talking about there is some sort of information transfer. We know our, our brains are transceivers. And perhaps what we're dealing with is some sort of, um, as of yet, undiscovered method, physical method, that we just don't know what it is. Like magnetism, for example, we really still don't know what that is. We talk about virtual photons and that sort of thing. And yet we've got now Maxwell's equations. We're able to make use of electromagnetism to run our world in ways that pretty much account for our level of, of modern technology. We might not be able to explain it at the most fundamental level, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing physical going on. Materialism holds that the fundamental constant of reality is is literally matter. That human consciousness is an illusory byproduct. It's an epiphenomena of the brain. This is the key point. Just because materialism is falsified doesn't mean that the scientific method is falsified. doesn't mean that there aren't certain things that we can measure. It just means that there can be an influence of something non-physical and internalized like human consciousness. There is no room for 
telepathy in, in a materialist construct. There was a, a philosopher physicist, physicist Mario Bunge that said that you know precognition violates the principle of antecedents. Psychokinesis violates the conservation of energy. Telepathy and precognition are incompatible. More to come. Joshua Cutchin, J. Randall Murphy, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Tired of being censored by Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon? Well, now you don't have to be. OneWay.com is the free speech and human-friendly social network built just for you. Stop feeding the beast. Every post you make on those evil, anti-human, anti-American perverted sites helps them destroy our families, our country, and our souls. Join OneWay today and take back your liberty. Your free speech alternative is waiting for you at OneWay.com. OneWay.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if you look at someone who is, uh, there's a, a philosopher physicist named Mario Bunge who said that antecedents is violated by notions of precognition, which, you know, appear in a lot of these cases that we're talking about. Psychokinesis, which is almost been completely proven in laboratory experiments, uh, violates the principle of the conservation of energy. And telepathy and precognition are completely incompatible with the the principles of gaining knowledge with some sort of sense perception. Um, and, you know, it, it, so it's, it's this idea that it's not saying that one or the other is wrong. It's just saying that they are incompatible with these sort of artificial human-made restrictions that we've put on the gaining of information and the way that uh, consciousness interacts with the real world. I mean, it's, I, think, I think it's a subtle distinction, but I, I, I don't think that you can say that there is any real place in 
strict 19th century materialism, which is what a lot of a lot of you know the scientific establishment is holding on to, there is no place for psi phenomena in that model. Because it's because it's not as it's not as measurable. Well, that's true. I mean, if we're going to stick to that particular definition of materialism, I think we need to be able to expand our thinking out, and that's that's why I I go into something, you know, particular version of physicalism, which takes into account various forces, including the fundamental forces of nature, which scientists themselves they don't know how to explain them. They just kind of know the rules that they obey. Right. So. I definitely think we're on the same page with that. I mean, it's I, I'm I'm specifically talking about this idea that it is only material that has an influence in the world. I think that we're on the same page. Yeah, I think so too. Because definitely we can like when you say, okay, we have a vision in our mind of something that we want to create, and when we make that into a reality, it requires some communication between that thought, whatever a mental thought is, and the objectively real world where i have a problem of course is where someone says that they can just sort of uh, conjure up things out of thin air pixar didn't happen right (laughs) (laughs) and and yet uh, in our last episode with red pill janky you know i proposed perhaps a method whereby maybe it might be possible if we're in some giant simulation of some kind and we can access the the great operating system somehow who who knows maybe there's just some way that it's possible in a logical rational way that we just aren't aware of so i i kind of resist going backwards and thinking well we'll just call it magic and and not try to bother explaining it for me, it's it's a death by a thousand cuts sort of thing, and also combined with a slippery slope sort of model. Because if if this ground is given to something other than materialism, then well, you know, as Alex Sakaris on Skeptica once said, then consciousness is an X factor in literally every experiment that we talk about. And then you have to say, well, these seem to be rules, physical rules of the universe, because we can never account, sorry, physical uh, guidelines of the universe rather than rules, because we can never account for the X factor of consciousness. And then from then, it just feels like a a collapse of dominoes that say, well, you know what, perhaps there is some sort of, you know, if, if, if I can if I can have some sort of effect or interpretation of my natural world by using my mental power, then it's not that far of, uh, not that long, not that uh, long of a bow to draw, so to speak, uh, until you're saying to yourself, well, maybe there is something, there's some sort of validity to a disincarnate entity that can have an effect in the world. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, so, so sort of bring this back around to something a little bit more tangible for us to discuss. I am not anti-ETH in the idea that I think that there's no validity to it. I just think that it's gotten so much attention when there are a lot of other more esoteric ideas that I think should be entertained with a little bit more of a serious uh, serious attitude, especially in the face of you know some of these really good consciousness uh, tests and, and, and uh, laboratory experiments. Okay, I'm still sort of seeing that arrow we talked about before kind of going backwards there as opposed to forwards. Like, okay, we've got these, um, the mythology, we've got phenomena that you believe is objectively real in terms of fairies or elves or a number of other strange things that take place. And don't get me wrong, I've experienced strange things. I know it happens. I believe people who say they've experienced these things I just don't know exactly how they're possible. 
So when I look at that, I say, well, okay, well, why, why couldn't something of much higher technology than we have and, and uh, more advanced mental ability be able to explain all of this? And when you start putting things like telepathy and anti-gravity and active camouflage together, you've got pretty much all the ingredients you need to make anything appear to be real. So why should we go backwards to looking at magic when we can look forwards and say, well, maybe we are dealing with a more advanced species of some kind who's come here to study us and create these things for us in order to look to study our reaction? No, I think that's a good point. And, you know, to anybody who's listening, I, I, I'm not sure that, you know, I'm big into the fairy folklore. I'm not sure in any sense. In fact, I'm kind of skeptical of the idea that that sort of framework is accurately describing what I would call the phenomena. Um, I think that it's a means of interpreting it, just like I think that whatever the UFO thing is a means of interpreting it as well. Um, you know, I just I, I think that really what it comes down to me is is um, is the double-edged nature of that Arthur C. Clarkism. You know, any <laughs> any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Then magic is indistinguishable from any su- sufficiently advanced technology. And here we are without something tangible to measure. We're left scratching our head as to which is which. And if you look at sort of the global interpretations of of uh, the spiritual understanding of yeah the M word magic, um, there seems to be a parsimony that I find lacking with a lot of the scientific explanations for uh, for the UFO problem. I mean, I, I think that there is. I mean, this is sort of a separate issue, but I think that the fact that there is a replication crisis in science, where it's becoming less and less possible to verify the results of a lot of these peer-reviewed papers, it's a, a lot. It's becoming a lot more difficult to, uh, you know, methodologically replicate or reproduce a lot of these findings on subsequent investigation. I think that says something to the fact that we're living in a much stranger world than we than we than we realize. And I think that it just it brings up the question that we might be dealing with something stranger. Now, to your to your point of you know, the fact that if you do have this sort of perfect storm of uh, stealth technology and of anti-gravitics and again that bugaboo telepathy which I still think is calls into question everything else um, if uh, if if we have this sort of perfect storm of technology and uh, in you know sort of evolutionary advancement that that doesn't explain the UFO thing I completely agree it does but it seems like that plus the synchronicities that a lot of experiencers uh, encounter, the fact that they will often have what they interpret as spiritual awakenings or um, they'll experience side effects themselves as well. I mean, even even Betty Hill predicted the death of uh, the car accident deaths of several friends. You know, I, I think that that to me hints that there's something a little bit weirder going on than nuts and bolts. Uh, spacecraft and little green scientists. That's just from where I'm sitting. Now, if, you know, honestly, if you hold my feet to the fire, I mean, there's, there's so much evidence for, you know, there's, there's evidence for uh, the physicality of this phenomena. There's so many rumors of crashes and such. I wouldn't doubt it if there's some sort of like, you know, middle way, if there's some sort of hybrid approach, Um, if there's some sort of hybrid approach where, not not hybrid in the uh, <laughs> the alien human hybrid idea, but a hybrid approach that we are seeing a physical phenomena 
of some description that is tapping into a universe that is not materialist as we understand it. And I'm kind of okay with that too. Um, again, I just don't think that the discussion is being had. I, I would I would like to see more serious discussion of of the the woo, quite frankly, because I think that there is something embedded in that that as long as you keep an a level head, there's there there's something very worthwhile to address in that. We've got more to address with Joshua Cutchin and Gene and Randall. You're in the Powercast. <laughs> Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh, and it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, with HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking Japanese panko chicken. It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com. Use the offer code PARACAST30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. HelloFresh.com. If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Don't become dependent on the medical system. Get and stay healthy naturally with Extendivite. Metals in the liver cause peroxides to get dumped into the bloodstream. Peroxides do more damage than free radicals to the arteries, and the LDL has no protection from peroxides, causing the LDL to get stuck in the arteries, creating a potential blockage. Extendivite slowly chelates the metals away from the liver so it can dispose of what was meant to be a harmless process peroxide. Extendivite 7 Herbs has a job to strengthen the organs and circulatory highway. Can you afford a heart attack? Extendivite is available in capsule or liquid form for just $69.95 for a two-month supply. To get started, 
Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with ExtendoVite. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I'm speechless from that. We have Joshua Cutchin who is showing us his weird talents. Let me ask you a question here. How is a tuba used in rock music? Better question, how is a tuba not used in rock music? Um, you know, it's, it satisfies a bass voice. I mean, I look to sort of the uh, gold standard for that is, you know, uh, Dave Bargeron with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Some great, fantastic tuba playing in those groups. But, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there are a couple bands out there who are doing things that are a little bit more fusion-y, especially if it's got a U- Eastern European flair or if it's got a sort of a New Orleans flair using tuba in that context. You know, but a lot of most of what I do is, you know, Dixieland, uh, ragtime, you know, some jazz. It can be just as versatile as a as a double bass, as a string bass. And, uh, you know, a lot of New Orleans style brass band stuff and a lot of, uh, again, Balkan style brass band. There are a couple bands here in town that play in a, in a sort of Balkan style. I'm playing with uh, a group that describes itself as an Afro-Klezmer orchestra. Um, a who what? Uh, this next weekend. <laughs> a who what? An Afro-Klezmer orchestra. Yeah, I'm playing a bat mitzvah on uh, next weekend. It's a strange life. For some reason, it's a really busy time of year for me right now. Generally speaking, as a tuba player, you're most busy during Mardi Gras and Oktoberfest. And right now, we're sort of here in Lent, and I've got you know about eight different shows in five weeks. So I'm, so I'm staying busy. Well, just make sure there are no strange foods or odors in connection with what you're doing. Well, with me around, there's usually always a strange odor, so I don't know. I'll do my best. (laughs) The thing I wonder, though, is as this stuff gets more and more complicated, and that explains, of course, why some people are obsessed with UFOs as totally different or separate from any, any of these other things, is because they'd like their lives to be simple. But as we add all these other factors, it gets very, very complicated. I would agree with that. Now, you know, and, and, and I, I don't want to come off as too defensive, Rand, Randall. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at anything in your life, it's going to be any, anything, pretty much, there are a few things in your life that are isolated, that don't exist within a spectrum of other things influencing your life. You know, uh, I've got to go get my car fixed. Well, that's contingent upon how much money I have. It's contingent upon my schedule. It's contingent upon how long I've owned the car and whether or not it's worth fixing. It's con- So I think the idea that any of these one sort of pockets of Fortiana can exist in isolation is, is a nice idea, but, you know, I don't know how practical it is. Yeah. First of all, by all means, don't apologize. When I heard you were going to be on i was really looking forward to it because what we're having in my view is uh, a good intellectual discussion about various issues 
between two intelligent people. And you make some fantastic points. And that's what it's about. So I appreciate that. I, I try to be an agreeable guy. So whenever oh, yeah. I uh, get, um, you know, a little bit passionate, I'm like, am I being too, am I being too strong about something? Because I, I think that's the mark of a, of a true 14 in a lot of ways is to, is to propose stuff and say, you know, what is this? I don't know. It could be any number of things. So that's, right. that's the one I try to toe. Well, then, let's, you know, by all means, let's dig right into it, because that's what this show is about. Let's get down in there and see, OK, well, what could this be then? You've got an idea that that we've got some something that's sort of beyond our everyday explanations and, and beyond the explanation of the empirical sciences, for that matter. And we both know that this stuff goes on. We're both just looking at at ways of, well, how might we explain it? Or, or are you even looking at a way to explain it? Maybe you're just describing it in your books and not really trying to think, well, maybe this is how it's possible. What, what's your real aim in, in uh, bringing this to our attention? For me, I've always said, because I feel like the amount of cases that I examine and that I try to bring forth in my work are generally so strongly weighted that uh, even if a few were proven to be complete fabrications, there's still this wealth of data that suggests an overall trend. So for me, it's never about whether you know this person actually saw Bigfoot walk through the forest in 1963. But even if that if that's a falsified story, there are 10, 20 other stories that I can point to that that share that sort of smell that that person noticed in that account. So for me, it's about the it's about the um, I think that to be a comparativist is to really point out the common thread and to say, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if that is true. But at the end of the day, something, there is a thread in here that says, you know, in the weakest sense, it says something about, you know, humans interpretation of the world, or it says, you know, there's a reality to Jungian archetypes, but that's the least of which might be happening. And um, even if that's, even if that's something that's true, that's still a huge thing that, you know, across time and across space, people have a food taboo to not take food from strange entities. What does that say about the human condition? So that's sort of where I come to it. Um, I do get a little bit worked up about the psi phenomena because I feel like there's been some, again, some some good rigorous, some scientific rigor applied to that. But uh, at the same time, they don't get me going like the anecdotes do. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, what, my interest, my interest is, the, is the idea that a culture on one side of the globe can say something and resonate with what is pre- being presented as an objective, true account on the other side of the globe from somebody who I can say with 85% certainty did not pull a dictionary of folklore off a shelf and read this one obscure tradition of this one obscure tribe about this similar thing. Um, and that's what I find to be the most, the most compelling thing about what I'm interested in. Have you found specific things that you thought were leading you to a solid trail and then later on turned out to be eh, not worth the time? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, I think you you have to do a sort of gut check at some point. I mean, which is more of a parsimonious explanation, for example, with the food taboo. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a I established in a Trojan feast that that uh this is a, a belief shared across cultures from literally every culture of the globe. I mean, you've got, you know, Simshin belief, Cherokee belief in the in the new world in the New World, um, North America, you've got um 
uh, belief in so among certain tribes in the Amazon, you've got uh, you've got uh, beliefs. Uh, you got this this belief represented in Scandinavian myth. You've got it represented in Jewish myth. You've got it represented in Teutonic myth, Asian, Japanese, uh, New Caledonian, New Zealand. That if you are ever encounter a member of the other world, you should not eat their food, or else you'll be trapped with them forever. Which is more parse? Which is not parsimonious? I keep on using that word too much. Which is more realistic in an Occam's razor sort of way that there is an objective reality to this other world. And somehow every culture has decided that this is through trial and error has decided that this is a way to avoid being pulled into that other world. Or it says something about human beings, relationships with other tribes, with other peoples. And the idea that you, if you break bread with them, you are, you know, associated with them forever, which, 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 you know, makes more sense from that sort of standpoint. You know, I'd like to believe the the former, but the latter honestly makes a little bit more sense. So, you know, I've, I've sort of cooled from the idea that that uh, implies, uh, you know, an objective reality to the other world in that sense. But, you know, for every one experience like those, if there are these there are other tiny experiences where, you know, um, uh that where there there are again more anecdotal experiences where you'll see the this connective these connective little little moments that really sort of give you pause. More to come with Joshua, Randall, and Jean. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Over the last four years, three of the biggest online precious metals dealers have gone bankrupt and their owners put in prison due to theft and fraud. Having previously purchased precious metals, can you be sure you purchased the right product? Did you receive proper advice? Or were you stung by one of these companies? Miles Franklin has been in business for 29 years without receiving any material customer or regulatory complaints ever. Maintaining an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating and residing in Minnesota, the only state in America that regulates the precious metals industry, making doing business in precious metals with Miles Franklin the safest choice, bar none. Call us at 866-485-4346 and let us review your portfolio at no commitment whatsoever. Again, that's 866-485-4346. Get the peace of mind you deserve in working with a precious metals company with a reputation like Miles Franklin. Again, that's 866-485-4346. Miles Franklin Precious Metals, the name you can trust.
Message and data rates may apply. Remembering when to change your fridge filter is a hassle. Remembering the right filter is almost impossible. So at Filters Fast, we have some good advice. Forget it. Instead, remember this. Text BEST33 to 443-443 and check fridge filters off your to-do list forever. Get it all taken care of for a fraction of big box store prices with a Filters Fast brand filter. To see how much you can save, plus get free shipping, text BEST33 to 443-443. With a huge range of brand name filters available, Filters Fast is America's number one online filtration company. And you can get a Filters Fast brand filter for a fraction of the price, delivered to your door every time you need it. No need to remember. It's not a matter of if you need a fridge filter. Why not text to get it taken care of? To see how much you can save and get free shipping, text BEST33 to 443-443. That's B-E-S-T-33 to 443-443. Heart disease is on the rise. Clogged arteries, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol levels may not be fully detected by you, but the symptoms are there. Loss of energy, blood sugar spikes and drops, poor circulation, and irregular heartbeat are just a few of these that can alert you that something is wrong. Hear how heart and body extract is making a difference in thousands of people's lives across America. My blood pressure has normalized. My diabetes has totally improved. Everyone is telling me now how much healthier I look, and I'm telling everyone how much healthier I feel. I recommend heart and body extract to everyone. Anybody over 40 in the North American continent should be using this product as a preventative to keep their cardiovascular system healthy. Order your two-month supply today by calling 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online, hbextract.com. Heart and body extract, 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Hi, this is James Fox from Chasing UFOs. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Let's just continue that frame of reference that you were invoking, Joshua. Oh, happily. Um, so, yeah, everyone's favorite, the, the poster child for my first book, The Joe Simonton Case. Chicken farmer from Eagle River, Wisconsin, uh, hears a sound of what sounds like wet radials on pavement, looks outside, sees a strange, shiny, metallic craft. And what he described is basically a space Italian with a black head cap. Um, Waving a jug of water in the air, you know, being a good Wisconsinite, he goes out there, grabs the jug of water, uh, grabs the jug rather, comes back in, fills it up with water, takes it back out, notices that some of the space Italian's comrades are uh, grilling some sort of uh, porous pancake or cookie on this flameless griddle. Let me and ask you a question here. Him noticing. Have you talked to any Italian cooks to see if they have a recipe like that? Oh, I, I can't imagine an Italian being caught dead making something with as little flavor as Simonton said these pancakes had. I was thinking maybe extraterrestrial pasta. Or how about this? How about E.T.-style pizza? Deep dish style or New York Sicilian style? Well, you know, it's the, uh, the pizza is shaped like a flying saucer and shaped like a mandala. How about... <laughs> and they spin it. You know, you ever see them spinning that pizza? Yeah, they twirl the pizza. That's right. It's part of the, you know, really proper pizza. It it Um, isn't just, you know, spreading the dough. It's throwing it in the air and doing all sorts of wacky stuff with it. Yeah, I I don't see how they even do that. I don't think I could ever do that. But, you know, it's interesting because this narrative of Simon getting these pancakes in exchange for this water um, and being and being a chicken farmer. 
What about some fried chicken and oh well. Well, I know sometimes sometimes when I tell the story, I say that he's an eagle farmer from Chicken River, Wisconsin. And I always mess it up. But you know, it's interesting to me that Simonson received these pancakes. And if you look at, you know, there's a in part of the Friesland Islands off off of Netherlands in, in Germany, um, there's a tradition of these uh, dwarves called the Unterbanski. And what they do is they are known to help farmers by uh, you know, exchanging fresh water and pancakes with them. That's a case to me that the other word connection rather that implies that there's some sort of again at the very basic level maybe an archetypal thing going on a Jungian archetype where this is just you know if he had a fugue state and he tapped into something like that or that there is some sort of weird other that sort of uses this same same imagery in in this case the imagery of basically a communion a breaking of bread across time to interact with 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 mankind i don't think simonton was reading about you know teutonic fairy lore like i don't i can't see you know the chicken farmer from eagle river in 1961 pulling that off the shelf as part of his uh as part of his daily reading so what's going on there i don't know but i that that's that's one of the more compelling little data points that that really keep me going in this field. That's really interesting. I mean, when you think about the whole food thing and you draw an analogy to say the way that we do experiments with animals, we use food a lot in order to see how they will behave. And I, you know, I wonder if the pancakes were as tasteless as say some of the pet food that we create for certain animals, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's theatrics to, in order to study our behavior is what it all seems to add up to. Yeah, no. And, 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 you know, you came back to the theatrics bit. I mean, again, in every case I can find a couple of data points that make me really question the, uh, the whole ETH thing, because obviously this has been cited as a UFO encounter, but the pancakes were analyzed. They were buckwheat. Everything about them was conventional. Even the poor quality cooking. Even the poor, even the poor quality cooking, yeah. So, like, you're left with a couple of different options here, but none of them. I mean, I think the the least likely to me is that aliens are gathering buckwheat and making pancakes. At the same time, I don't think that Simonson made these things in like a, a daze or a trance or a fugue state. So, you know, it's 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 just a little point of 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 uh, of interest that just sort of leaves me scratching my head, and I don't know what to do with it. Okay, here's a, a question, if if you don't mind, from one of our forum posters. Sure. Han, he asks, how do these stories go? Does does someone do something to annoy the fairies, like stealing from them or disrespecting them in some way, and then the fairies seek revenge by taking something of theirs? Or do they just choose sort of random people? It's a good question. Um, you know, obviously there there are there's no shortage of stories in fairy lore where people failed to leave out an offering of food for the fairies and they suffered some repercussions. Um, there's some tales of pixies who, uh, prick toes or drink blood or, you know, the idea of, um, a household spirit or a household fairy who, uh, you know, blights the crop because they weren't recognized or, you know, they, uh, they basically, basically poltergeist activity inside the home. You know, in the case of a lot of these food and drink offerings from fairies to humans, um, it does have much more of a randomized component with one exception. You know, a lot of the stories you'll find of someone's walking down a country lane and they encounter a banshee who offers them milk. And, uh, you know, in one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations, they refused it knowing the food taboo and they actually were blinded because they offended the banshee. So it's a situation that you don't want to get involved in. But, you know, a lot of times it's somebody who's out roving. A lot of the Irish stories involve someone coming home from a party who's a little bit too tipsy, um, which, you know, I find an interesting correlation between that and the way that 
alcohol is so often blamed for UFO sightings. Um, it's almost like the phenomena seeks out people who um, might be marginalized and might not be believed. But, you know, uh, there's one famous story of Jimmy Doyle in the fairy palace and he's coming home. Uh, he's coming home tipsy and he sees a light coming from the fairy, from the fairy fort. And he goes there and he sees this door inside the ground and he goes inside. And while he's there, he sees, all the little, all the wee folk, but invariably in these stories, these people will encounter um, someone who they recognize who was formerly alive, which there's a lot of confusion, a lot of conflation, a lot of it's, it's impossible to separate the fae folk from the deceased. And a lot of these stories, um, there's one story that says that when you die, there are three roads, one leading to heaven, one leading to hell, and one leading to fairyland, which I find is really eloquent. In the case of Jimmy Doyle, he recognized this woman from the community that uh, had passed on, and she stopped him from uh, taking a drink and said, do not you know, drink or eat anything from them or you'll be trapped with them forever. And he actually ended up pouring the, uh, the flagon of ale or wine between his jerkin and his chest. And he woke up the next morning in a field, and his, his family said that he smelled like punch. So, you know, was he was he drunk? Um, was he in some sort of altered state that allowed him to uh, interact with these things? Was he, you know, in an altered state where he hallucinated these things? It's not very clear to me. You know, where I'm coming from, where I've been sort of pushed by this fairy, uh, deceased, dead, you know, the restless dead sort of uh, constellation is the idea that maybe everything, maybe everything is just a ghost story, <laughs> you know. If you look at sort of the uh, the where, where the fairy folk live in uh, the British Isles, um, a lot of them are unambiguously human constructed Iron Age or early Christian uh, settlements, uh, housing housing settlements, uh, corrals, paddocks, etc. That's that's out of the question. No, the, the, that's not up for debate. These are human settlements, but yet you know, several hundred you know years later. They begin uh, being associated with this race of small people who are often seen in conjunction with the dead. So, again, assuming an objectivity to some of these stories, which, uh, you know, the tradition is so rich and has so many parallels with ufology. If I think that if you think that there's something to the UFO phenomena, you kind of have to think that there's something to the fairy phenomena because the parallels are so close. Um, What does that mean? Does that mean that the fairies are the dead? Does that mean that the fairies came to inhabit certain spaces where human beings live? Does that mean that human beings built their buildings in the ages past on places of power that happened to tap into some sort of telluric ley line sort of, uh, sort of area where the paranormal is more likely to manifest? I'm not really sure. Um, if, if you had to hold my feet to the fire and make me commit to something right now, I suspect that the fairy folk represents something of a psychopomp, so an intercessor spirit that uh, guides people through their lives, guides people to and from the other world and to and from the afterlife, and that's why you see this association. But again, that's, that's predicated on a lot of speculation. Before we speculate any further, here's some more speculation from others. We'll have more to come. We have Joshua Cutchin talking about we folk, other people, foods, even stuff that doesn't taste very well. At least they could maybe have brought Joe Simonton some Chinese food or something. More to come <laughs> with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> you are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com, virtual care anywhere. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA Pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. The March of Dimes and HCA Healthcare are committed to the best possible start for every baby. I'm Amy Kasseri, Vice President of HCA Women and Children's Services, where we have the honor of delivering over 200,000 babies a year. We partner with the March of Dimes on research and fundraising to help build a brighter future for babies everywhere. So march with us on one of the many HCA teams assembled nationwide. Learn more at marchforbabies.org backslash HCA.
This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, okay, we are descending into the depths of something or other. Now, when you start thinking about something like Joe Simonton, I wanted to go back to that because I remember when that case occurred. That's how old I am. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, well, sorry, I didn't mean, oh, wow, like that. I mean, it's, it's interesting to have sort of to remember that happening, you know. Yeah, I remember him being interviewed by Long John Neville on his famous paranormal talk show. I remember where he seemed like a pretty simple, straightforward guy. And I don't recall John being anything more than mildly cynical. Oh, this wacky farmer, chicken farmer, who sees an Italian spaceman and he gets pancakes. And you think somebody in a test aircraft was possibly playing a joke on Simonton? I mean, it's possible. I, I, I suspect that a lot of more of what we... Uh, a lot more of what we see in the UFO phenomena, especially with in terms of anomalous craft and lights in the sky, a lot more of that is unorthodox aircraft than we would any of us would like to admit, myself included. That might be the case. Uh, the, the problem is, you know, if there literally was a plan to visit an unassuming chicken farmer and give him pancakes, like if that was a plan from the start, that's that's an interesting you know psychological experiment. I don't think you know that there was an aircraft where they just so happened to be you know if if there if these if these were people in an unorthodox aircraft they just so happened to install a, a flameless stove right here and they're like hey Bob you know what while he's getting us some water how about you make uh, how about you make some some pancakes you know I, I think that if you wanted to see something that or if you wanted to draw some sort of parallel i think there's probably more of a parallel to the airship waves of the turn of the century where so many of those cases involve the fetching of water uh by witnesses and oftentimes there you know sometimes there was a food exchange in those in those uh encounters as well um so i would be more akin to you know not necessarily government uh a, a government aircraft in that case, but probably more of a Walter Bosley-esque, uh, you know, secret space program, uh, breakaway civilization, rather, um, in that sort of, in the Simonton case. That just seems a little bit more realistic to me um, than the idea that it's the government doing some sort of uh, psychological pancake experiment. <laughs> Although psychological pancake experiment is a great name for a band, so. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have a tuba. I hadn't thought of that one. They'll have a tuba, a, a sitar. I'm thinking of the complement of the band. Uh, tuba, sitar, uh, theremin, accordion, and... Um, oh, I better throw a trombone in there. Just that's just trombone. company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just a little bit more mundane, just, just sort of for what people are kind of used to when they think about fairy lore and stuff. Like, why do we have graphical representations that depict the male characters as these little troll-like characters but the females tend to be these idealized versions of the female form well you know i think that part of that is who's making the who's making the drawing you know <laughs> i think that's you know if you want to be really pragmatic about it um you know some old medieval perverts were probably drawing those but uh you will find um it, it, it the, the 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 umbrella term fairy varies from uh, culture to culture to continent to continent because it really is a worldwide concept. This idea of a 
a shorter race or a, you know, spiritual peoples living alongside us. Um, you know, most often these were depicted as small and shriveled and wizened, you know, the males at least were, but at the same time, you would find depictions of taller, um, more lithe male fairies as well. I mean, you like sometimes in some cases they would be indistinguishable from a very attractive man. Um, some stories that I found for the new book, um, reads like straight up men in black encounters, a gentleman and a mysterious gentleman in black who, who pulled up in a black with on a black horse looking for a woman to come take care of his kids. And of course this is where it differs from that whisks them away to his, his fairy cave and has her sort of, uh, become a, a, a wet nurse for his fairy children. But, um, if you look at the lore, um, many times what you'll find is that, uh, you know, sort of the working class fairy, as it were, um, are the short squat, hideous kind. And in a lot of the encounters, you'll find them, you know, doing their own thing, but they're almost always supervised by a taller, often female, often attractive, fairy queen of the fairies which you can see you know clear parallels between that idea these shorter grotesque entities being supervised by this taller more lithe entity you can see that in the abduction experience where you know people talk about a, a taller more supervising gray looking at these shorter drones well we have um, this sort of whole disneyfication of it as well i mean when we we look at something like sleeping beauty there we have almost kind of the same thing going on in a way yeah, no, it, it, exactly. And, it, and it, it's, I mean, that's part of a, a bigger problem that really started, you know, in the, in the, in the Victorian era of really trying to sort of take the teeth out of these things, you know, which rarely, which rarely were depicted with wings, rarely were, were depicted with, uh, you know, cute little skirts popping in and out of flowers. But that's, you know, it's sort of, that's where the, that's where the whole Disney ethos is drawn upon it's drawn upon that tradition but you know i think the other reason for the the attractive female fairies is that you know in fairy lore it was young boys like infant boys and uh women who would be abducted by the fairies and they would be abducted by the male fairies but uh in a lot of the narratives um with men's interactions with fairies, they would find a fairy woman and they would mate with her. And it's a lot easier to buy that narrative if there is a taller, more attractive, beautiful woman than if, you know, you've got some guy with this little, you know, two and a half foot old woman fairy, you know, getting on. That's a, that's a, that's a little bit, uh, <laughs> I can suspend my disbelief about a lot yeah. of things, but that's, uh, that's a little bit hard for me to believe. <laughs> so I, I suspect that's part of it too. But again, you know, thinking thinking back to something like uh, like Greg Bishop's co-creation idea, I think the fact that you have so many different descriptions of the of the fairies, which honestly are like a Pokemon catalog, or or you know, or the Japanese yokai, there are so many different descriptions of these things that might account for why there are so many disparate accounts of what these entities look like. If again, if there is an ob- objective reality to it. Well, then we've got, and even in modern culture, this sort of uh, tradition of of uh, leaving something for them that, that so that there can be some sort of an exchange that takes place. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, look at the tooth fairy. We get into here. We have them collecting human teeth, and you know that's got to be one of the weirdest. You got little kids and human teeth. Like, what are these? How did that get into our culture? It's it's all a bit macabre. I mean, you know, and the idea that I mean, I think, and even. Um, I mean, not not as as grotesque, but the idea that uh, the idea that um, you know Santa Claus is is a is I mean, you can unpack the pagan imagery of Santa Claus all you want to, but you know, 
the red and white, the color of the Amanita muscaria, which is a hallucinogenic mushroom underneath that grows underneath, um, you know, uh, furs, um, in, uh, Siberia, which is where we place our, you know, which is where we place our toys. They were dried out by sh- uh, these Amanita muscaria were dried out by shamans in stockings by the fire. If you, you know, if you take certain hallucinogenics, as Terrence McKenna said, sometimes you see self-transforming machine elves who want to give you a gift. Um, and Santa Claus, where does he come through? He comes through the chimney, um, which was a common point of, uh, you know, of entities from the other world coming into your house, especially fairies. Um, the tooth fairy herself draws out of a northern European tradition, which was the, the Tanfe or the tooth fairy, um, who was, you know, had this exchange of uh teeth for 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 money you also find it um in some of some early norse and northern european writings but in terms of exactly why you know it was a fairy wanting teeth as opposed to um you know a fairy wanting children's hair you know there's been some discrepancy with with that um some people say that uh, if you know since certain traditions if you didn't you know uh, burn your baby teeth you would actually have trouble you would spend your eternity in the afterlife looking for them you know, uh, in, in some Norse culture, some Norse cultures, uh, you know, uh, t- children's teeth would actually bring good luck in battle. Um, but it is, it is, it is, it is a very creepy exchange when you actually take a look at it. Um, you know, it, 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 I think it's also tied partially to the idea. I mean, if you look at, so, uh, there was a Scott, there was a, an academic who said to me one time, what is blamed upon fairies will eventually be blamed upon witches and vice versa. And if you look at the lore, like that definitely bears itself out. And, uh, you know, the, this idea, this again, sorry, using the M word, this magical idea that if you have a something, a, an object that belongs to someone or a, an object of uh, someone's, you know, someone's uh, fingernail clippings or hair or something that you have power over them. I think it's probably tied to that idea, too. The idea that um, that, you know, if, if you want to get rid of these baby teeth out of your house to someplace completely different. Uh, so as opposed to letting them fall into the hands of some sort of other, you know ne'er-do-well who can actually have power over your children if, if you don't if, if they get a hold of your teeth so i think that might have something to do with it as well we'll have more comments with a toothy grin in our next segment i'm sorry i did that randall gene joshua you're in the for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. 
hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a house being trashed while a gang of thieves ransack the place. And what they don't steal will be destroyed. This year, resolve not to be the next victim of a break-in. Go to faketv.com and discover a device that creates the illusion someone inside is watching TV, even when you're miles away. Security is a mindset, and Fake TV should be part of your security solution. Be vigilant, but not fearful. Faketv.com Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. When I listen to their singing, I say, please don't quit your day job. But then Joshua is a musician. Do you sing also? Uh, not in public. I sing in the shower. That's about it. Well, I'll do that sort of like... If the whole if the whole band is shouting a chorus or something or singing, I'll do that sort of thing. But as far as me and a mic, nope, not my not my scene. I could see why. Nothing personal. Well, thanks, Gene. I mean, next time you could join in too. We could do like a <laughs> three part disharmony. Hello, 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 Paracast. <laughs> yes. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. All right, it's enough of this. Fun and frolic. This is not a show for fun and frolic. There will be no fun on this show, G. There'll be no fun. No fun, no laughter, no silly jokes from the 1950s. Nothing about sci-fi and comic book movies. We're talking about fairies. Nothing fun and frivolous about fairies, my folks. That's right. Keep it serious here. We're talking about space people who look Italian, who hand pancakes to chicken farmers because they don't like chicken. You know, actually, it's that, that that Italian detail is something else that I probably should have mentioned too. Is that um, you know, most cultures, most you know, Anglo-Saxon cultures, most Western European cultures uh, will will describe the Fey folk as as having a swarthy complexion. I mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, uh, something I talk about in the, in the next book that uh, the, the children who were primarily taken by the Fey folk were fair-skinned and had fair hair because the fairies wanted this, you know, sort of new injection of lifeblood into their dying race of these, you know, these attractive children who had who had a complexion completely different there. So that space Italian thing, there might be a little connection there with the swarthiness that was mentioned about fairies. Well, except, of course, for Orthon, the blonde-haired Venusian met by George Adamski. Well, right. I mean, you can, you know, it's, it's interesting. I would, something that might be a future project is I would love to see someone go through contact lore, abduction lore, and, you know, the goetic tradition of entities conjured up through, you know, ritualistic magic and fairy lore and to see which seem to all correspond to the same thing. I mean, you know, sort of to what Randall was talking about, this idea of the taller, uh, more beautiful fairies absolutely corresponds with, uh, with, you know, a lot of these contactee beings and the shorter, you know, the short, hideous grays, I mean, 
you look at a tradition like the uh, Scottish trowel, the Scottish, it's got to be the Scottish trowel. It was a race of fey folks, fey folks, it was a race of fey folk who, uh, or maybe they're, I can't remember, Scottish or Irish, I should know this. Anyway, but there were goblins who were really fond of kidnapping people, and they were called the night stealers or the gray neighbors because they always wore gray clothing. And they were sh- short and hideous and sort of shriveled. So you see really, um, really strong parallels between all these. And I think that will be a really worthwhile project is to, to go through these three traditions that seemingly don't have a lot in common and saying, look, this looks like that. This looks like that. This looks like that. I don't know if I'm the guy, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm the guy to do that because I don't know how much patience I have through for going through old grimoires, but <laughs> maybe somebody else. Hey, if I can just back up a little bit there, you were saying something about, the faith folk having like being a dying race and needing fresh blood. Like, is that actually in the mythology or is that just something you threw in there? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, which is again, I used to be really dispassionate about the connections between the faith folklore and the UFO folklore. But the more, the more you spend immersed in this, the more you say, look, these have got to be, you know, different interpretations of the same thing, whether or not it's, you know, misinterpretations of ET phenomena or misinterpretations of land spirit phenomena or something that we don't even understand. I think that they've got to be the same thing because, you know, you look at these stories of what well, the, the next book is all about uh, paranormal child abduction from the fairy fate through the UFO era and also looking at worldwide traditions and worldwide beliefs in this. But it was one of the beliefs that among others, there were several others, but the idea that one of the primary reasons that children would be taken is because they the fairies were a dying race and they were um, doomed to expire unless they uh, regularly interjected their race with uh, vigor from another source, um, primarily you know human human children. That's one interpretation. The other is that they would literally just not necessarily uh, you know take these children for for a breeding stock, but actually like sort of incorporate them into fairy society, and that would you know that would uh, help to encourage the vitality and the vigor of their race um, as well. Uh, it becomes a little bit difficult because a lot of times when people would die or they'd be sick or they would be uh, mentally ill, you'd say that they were gone with the fairies. So that doesn't necessarily mean that there's always a physical abduction. Um, but you know that's just one of the many things that one of the many one of the many uh, connections that you'll find. I mean, there's, there's a really interesting, um, the parallelism of of quotes. Um, I'm sure you recall, um, you know, Charles Fort's quote from the book of the damned, I think were property. And you'll, you know, you can look at, uh, Whitley Strieber's, um, exchange with uh, one of his visitors that uh, they had no right to be doing to them what he did. And they said, we do have a right, you know, really stunning revelation. But you'll also find, you know, some stuff in fairy lore uh, from Crofton Croker, who was a great um, Celtic uh, uh, antiquarian, uh, said in the uh, 1830s or so, it seems as if the elves divided themselves among them the soul of men and uh, considered them thenceforth as their property. So there are these little parallels that you'll find that really, really are quite striking uh, across all of this. And I guess, you know, coming back to what Gene had mentioned about, like, why I do the things that I do, it started out as inquiry, but now I'm I'm really wanting to illustrate the depth of parallels between the UFO phenomena and fairy phenomena, which have been pointed out again, but I don't think anyone really appreciates how deep the rabbit hole goes on this. That's really interesting. Thanks for uh, elaborating on that, that one small point there, because that really does magnify it out to, to make you scratch your head just a little bit because the whole dying race, uh, 
trope almost now you call this that's in a lot of the ufo stuff and sci-fi stuff too and and to think that it had come out of some obscure uh, mythology from fairy lore i mean that's uh that's a really interesting bit of trivia well you know i i i go into this a little bit more in my research but uh but um it it becomes very apparent that uh that this is a worldwide motif as well um you know, again, does that does that imply an objective reality to it? I don't know, but it, it's really, really interesting to me. Yeah, it's kind of like okay, you know, you could you could see some things being common. You know, the offerings of food for favors from the gods, but to to come up with this whole idea that there's another mysterious race that is actually dying out and needs fresh blood from from another race in order to maintain their existence that that's a little more complex for people. I, I think so, and you know, one of one of the things that's been noted ad nauseum by you know Graham Hancock and uh, and Christopher Albeck and some a couple of different individuals is the appearance between fairy changelings and you know alien hybrids of the you know the David Jacobs variety, which I as as an objective thing I don't personally put a lot of stock in, but if you look at the comparisons between these. Uh, these uh, fairy babies who are left in the place of human babies after they were stolen and these uh, human alien hybrids that are presented to abductees, the descriptions are often dead on listlessness, um, thin arms, general, just disgusting appearance, large eyes, um, you know, uh, patchy bits of hair. The, the, The connections there are really interesting as well. Again, in both cases, you know, the mothers of these changelings and the mothers of alien hybrids often experience the same uh, sensation of revulsion in both these cases. So this and this again, this is just literally scratching the surface of some of the stuff that I found that's just really, really, really bizarre connections between the two that uh, I think really warrant a second look. So do you think it's a preponderance of all of these small data points or is there really some – you know, what you might think of as sort of like, a you know, the smoking gun kind of, I mean, not yet, you know, obviously that would imply some sort of physical evidence, but I, I don't mean that. But like, what's your thing? Where's your real focus on this? Like, what do you think it is? Have you got any kind of a theory that you're willing to go out on a limb for here? Uh, oh man, is this, this is where I have to be coy and I have to say, well, that's coming out. <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that if you look at, my first two books and then this third book that's coming out, I think that you'll see an evolution of thought. We're going to break. With Joshua, Gene, and Randall, I never know who's going to say it. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. 
For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Warning If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. Tired of being censored by Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon? Well, now you don't have to be. OneWay.com is the free speech and human-friendly social network built just for you. Stop feeding the beast. Every post you make on those evil, anti-human, anti-American perverted sites helps them destroy our families, our country, and our souls. Join One Way today and take back your liberty. Your free speech alternative is waiting for you at OneWay.com. OneWay.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? And you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-667-9035. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-667-9035. 800-667-9035. That's 800-667-9035. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So we're just really having a rollicking time here. And I certainly think we answered the concern of one of our listeners that we talk about UFOs too much because we're pointing out here that UFOs are only part of what's going on there. Now, getting back to Greg Bishop's co-creation theory, again, when we look at that, are we thinking here that each individual is using pop culture to generate 
in part the experiences they're going through. I mean, I, I don't think that there's a single thing that I see in my day-to-day life that isn't influenced by my culture, not only you know American culture, but also Southern culture, family culture, my musician culture. It's all presented through that lens. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that I view it literally completely different, but it does mean that I might notice some things that other people might not notice and, and vice versa. I might not notice some things that other people notice. So I'm not sure. I, I do think that priming plays a role in these experiences regardless. Um, and, you know, like my different books, my opinions change and it might seem contradictory, but, uh, you know, I, I, I reserve the right to, to change my opinion at any time. I think it's necessary to evolve our opinions. It's, it's worse when we hang on to things and ideas that we know we ought to change just because we've written them in the past and we want to try to maintain the validity of some past notion when we, when we know it's time to change. The, the motif of the, the political flip-flopper is one of the most toxic ideas. You know, I mean, it's one thing to change your opinion back and forth, but to have evolved over the course of several years, I think, is important to being a human being. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different context there for sure. To, to backtrack a little bit here, uh, when you were, we were talking about some of the um, traditional notions of the fairy folk, my background has uh, some Nordic in it. The whole Santa Claus thing for them were these little, little guys called Nisa men. And they were in these little red suits and they were very small and they were seen in the forest and they were a, a, a lot like sort of the Smurfs, actually, more than they were the, you know, the large Coca-Cola Santa. But, you know, over the years, that's what uh, they developed into. And yeah, just to finish that off, of course, we have that uh, tradition of leaving, say, some milk and cookies out. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, you got that. You got all all the hallmarks. You've got that direct exchange. You know, you've got the uh, the method of ingress and egress being you know the chimney. I think there's something interesting to that too. I mean, if you look at uh, the idea that witches and fairies and you know obviously Santa Claus comes in and out of the chimney, uh, means that they don't have to use their doors. And what do you know modern aliens, modern quote unquote aliens do? They just appear in your house. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you lock your doors or if you've got your. Uh, if you've got your uh, alarm on, they're just going to appear in your house. So I think that there's a little bit of a, a, a vague parallel with that, too. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this person could suppose, well, how did they get in? Well, they must have come through the chimney. Now, have, exactly. you, found, have you found any kind of parallels with the intergenerational uh, experiencers with fairies compared to the intergenerational experiencers with UFO or abduction phenomena? 100%. Um, Less intergenerational. I mean, there's there are some examples that I have, um, but uh, the, the biggest problem is that when people are taken by the fairies, they tended to be taken by the fairies for good. Um, but there is some intergenerational stuff. There's also something that's a lot more common is multiple ch- multiple children being taken in the same family. Um, now, of course, you know, completely rationally, when you, when I talk about things like uh, things like uh, changelings, for example, um, it is. Very clear, um, and you have to be absolutely realistic about this. A lot of these changeling stories were children with developmental disabilities, um, which really does reinforce a lot of different things about fairy lore. The propensity for multiple children in the same family to be taken implies a genetic link. Um, the uh, the uh, tendency for fairies to want to take boys as opposed to as opposed to girls also corresponds with developmental disabilities which are more common among boys the males and females so you know you sort of have to temper a lot of these stories 
with the idea that these people might just be searching to describe things like Down syndrome, like Williams syndrome, um, like progeria, like autism. They're trying to describe these things through the through their cultural context at the time. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a um, there's definitely a hereditary genetic component to the fairy abduction experience as well. Do you think that there's some connection between uh, missing people in modern times and missing children and these abductions? Or do you think that it's, you know, what's going on there? Like the whole, you know, missing 411 thing or whatever. Well, the new the new book, which is tentatively titled Thieves in the Night, I don't see that title really changing. First part's about fairies. Second part's about creatures in general across the world that abduct children. Third part's about the propensity of alien abductions to happen to children or to begin in youth. Then, I, as I have to do in these books, I talk about Sasquatch a little bit. I talk about another phenomenon, which I call the crib creepers, which are entities that are seen around children's beds or cribs, but don't explicitly take them away. And then the last one of the, one of the last parts is looking at how this might fit into the missing 411 thing. And I will say that the missing 411 phenomena, or you know, the strange disappearance of individuals uh, in the in the wilderness and in national parks, I think is um, it's 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 a strong part of my conclusions. And honestly, I've written about this on my blog the fairy faith is the only thing that accounts for a lot of the outlying data points on the missing 411 stuff if you look at the pe- the tendency of people to disappear near bodies of water or boulder fields both tons of evidence or tons of uh you know ethnographic uh ethnographic uh evidence that uh these were where fairies lived um the the, the idea that these people tend to uh these idea that these people tend to wear bright colored clothing. Well, that offended the fairy folk, and that's and then you would be taken by the fairy folk. Um, the tendency for these to be, um, you know, there's a slight tendency, if I recall, for them to be men. Again, you have that connection that I've already mentioned as well. Um, you know, if you look at the tendency for people in missing 411 to disrobe or leave their clothes in a certain place, well, in Hawaiian tradition, if you ran into the Minahune, uh, which are sort of half the dead and half uh, half fairy folk, you were you were supposed to strip naked and prostrate yourself onto the ground, face down into the ground, as as a sign of humility. That's exactly how a lot of these missing 411 people are found. Um, it it literally satisfies almost. Almost every data point uh, that Politis has found to be really interesting. So I don't think I, I'm not content to just say that. I think that there's something to do with that, and something to do with the psychopomp idea, something also to do with this uh, developmental disability idea. And I try to bring all those disparate threads together into one idea at the end. Um, you know, Pat, uh, my my pr- publisher Patrick Weege says it's an interesting it's an interesting hypothesis. He's not he's not sure how much he believes it, but you know it's. It's so it's out there. I will say that I found a case in Mike Clellan's new book um, that is literally my hypothesis put out to a T. Um, so yeah, I think that. Uh, so yeah, long story short, the missing four one one thing is definitely addressed, and it's something that I think plays an integral role in a lot of these phenomena. I should point out, folks, that we had David Poites on the Paracast way back when, back in. December 2nd, 2012. So if you're interested, that's part of it right there. Now, conventionally explained, disappearances of children are sometimes related to some kind of marital issue where one parent decides that they will go away with the child and disappear somewhere. That's one thing. We'll get into more of this missing kids, missing people, and more with Joshua Cutchin. Jay Randall Murphy, Gene Steinberg, you're in.
The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hear that? That's the sound of a house being trashed while a gang of thieves ransack the place. And what they don't steal will be destroyed. This year, resolve not to be the next victim of a break-in. Go to faketv.com and discover a device that creates the illusion someone inside is watching TV, even when you're miles away. Security is a mindset, and Fake TV should be part of your security solution. Be vigilant, but not fearful. faketv.com Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Here's a special message for those of you who owe the IRS at least 10000 or more in back taxes. The IRS has special programs in place that could eliminate or reduce your tax debt by thousands of dollars. Call the Federal Tax Management Helpline that has been set up for you, 800-503-8625. Stop the wage garnishments, levies, and tax liens now. Once you've qualified and enrolled, the IRS will stop all the collection activities against you. These unique programs have been allocated to help the economy and significantly reduce reduce or eliminate your tax burden. The IRS is currently accepting reduced settlements and other favorable programs. You may qualify for substantial savings, so get the help you need. If you owe more than 10000 in taxes, call for free information and to see if you qualify. Take down the number now for the Federal Tax Management Hotline, 800-503-8625. That's 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. You haven't experienced yogurt until you've tried a Mossy, embodying health and flavor in a true whole milk, green-fed dairy beverage. Every sip pays homage to our old world cows and the ancient culturing methods their milk benefits from. With over 30 probiotics, a Mossy's undeniably nutritious, refined, cultured sensation bolsters your health and awakens your passion for dairy. A Mossy's so good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com.
Are you one of the 70% of Americans that want to own your own business, afraid to leave the security of your current job to pursue your dreams? I'm Pharmacist Keith. Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and myself want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working around your current job schedule, creating an extra income for you and your family by joining his crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You see, we have always made the Stinger, the Paracast, a showpiece of this program. Sometimes better, sometimes worse, sometimes so far off the rails. We have a second radio show after the Paracast, And we're going to be continuing this discussion because you see it can go pretty far. And we only have like a segment or two left. So we want to have more from Joshua Cutchin and J. Randall Murphy. So they will both be on After the Paracast. And the only way you can get that show is to subscribe to the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com. That's plus.theparacast.com. We also give you a version of this show with better quality audio. I don't change, but everybody else sounds better. For as little as a dollar forty nine a week. That's because of the guy on YouTube who said he didn't have any money. So I figured, look, if you can buy a cup of coffee at one of the convenience stores like a Seven Eleven or a Circle K, you could certainly give that up and get a subscription to the Paracast Plus. And if you smoke even one pack of cigarettes a week, we give you such a better deal, and you'll live a lot longer. Okay, think about it that way. Oh, just one more thing. Somebody put a note on, this is YouTube, suggesting that they feel that we need more diversity in the commercials we run and that it's just male voices. Well, here's what happens. Except for commercials where you hear me, for better or worse, those commercials are provided by the network. If you think they should get female announcers, I have no problem with that. Write to GCN. I have no control over it. How's that go? Joshua, what do you think? Uh, I think, you know, making your voice heard is always the, the right thing to do. I mean, I don't um, go up to Minnesota and demonstrate before them because they're nice people over there. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you have to tell their advertisers, you know, because they'll take the advertiser dollar where it comes. They're in business. So we should tell our advertisers we want more variations in those voices. Thieves in the night. We were talking about the implications of that. So I think I mentioned briefly the fact that some might have perfectly conventional explanations, such as a marital conflict of some kind. Some are into evil purposes to kidnap people for purposes that are only discussed on such TV shows as Law and Order Special Victims Unit. What's your feeling? Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, I think the, the most up-to-date stats say that 800,000 children go missing annually in the U.S. alone which is a startlingly huge number. But, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about how, you know, changelings were a way of blaming, you know, uh, developmental disorders. 
Similarly, uh, you know, uh, the fairies were blamed for a lot of things. I have examples of uh, children, uh, girls who went off to become prostitutes and their family, instead of saying what really happened, said they went off to be with the fairies. Um, A lot of times, tragically, uh, especially in uh, 19th century Ireland, infanticide was a huge deal. uh, Families couldn't deal with their uh, with the extra economic constraints of having a child. To give you some sense of how incredible this was, there's a, a lady who wrote a book called A Most Diabolical Deed about infanticide in Irish society just between 1850 and 1900. She looked at just cases of infanticide of children less than three years old, 4,645 cases in a 50-year period. So obviously it was a lot easier to say, well, my child was a changeling, so that's why I threw it in the fire, or that's why I left it, abandoned it you know, by this rock, is because it was a changeling. Oh, the, the fairies didn't bring my child back. How tragic. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about this sort of thing, you have to uh, to acknowledge uh, the fact that it's I mean, a lot of the, a lot of this book is a lot of thieves in the night is gets pretty dark. Um, but I think you have to really, you know, face this from a level headed objective uh, standpoint, you know, and exhaust all the materialist explanations uh, or all the uh, the conventional explanations, because a lot of them uh, account for most of the cases. But at the same time, you know, I think that's uh it's also something that I think should be brought to, to people's attention that this is some one of the ways that we human beings cope with tragedy and, uh, you know, so we can sort of safeguard against using poor ideas to cope with tragedy in the future. Has there ever been a case where a child has been taken and then come back again? In the fairy lore? All uh, the time. Or uh, well, even, yeah. even not just in the lore, but say maybe in more modern times where somebody, you know, some, something that might actually be traceable to an actual story as opposed to a fable. Yeah, I mean, there is a a really interesting uh, case that I found from Alaska, where there was a child um, in 2008. This is from a newspaper, so I have to assume that there's, you know, it's true. It wasn't published on April Fool's or anything. In May 7 of 2008, there was a child who was found um, by a gentleman in Marshall, Alaska, who uh, had been, who had who had disappeared for a while. He was found, he was disoriented, dazed, confused, had no concept of time, but wasn't, didn't suffer any, uh, any of the uh, symptoms of exposure. And when he finally regained his memory, he said that he was taken into a nearby mountain and there were these little beings who talked to him and uh, local uh, Inuit fairy lore or the you pick, I think is the actual name of the specific tribe um, believed in a race of subterranean fairies who love to disorient and trap travelers. This has a lot of the data points of that missing 411 stuff as well. You know, the, the days, the uh, lack of, of uh, exposure, um, you know, the, the, the sort of missing time the child has. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, in a lot of cases we wouldn't have these, uh, we wouldn't have these stories unless the child had returned. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you'll find that in a lot of different places. In fact, I'd say more than more often than not, you'll find cases where children return return nowadays than than in you know ages past, which again might point to that infanticide data point. So if you've got people disappearing and coming back again, you probably run into instances of the whole missing time phenomena then too as well. Oh yeah, I mean missing time is is a hallmark both in you know obviously in UFO lore as we're all well well aware, but also in fairy lore. I mean you'd go to fairyland and you'd think that you spent five minutes and you'd spent five years. A lot of people who return from fairyland would crumble into dust at the first bite of mortal food because they had actually been away for so long. Um, similarly, you might be in fairyland for what seems like a year and have been there for five minutes. Uh, there are plenty of stories of children who are drawn into fairy circles where the fairies are dancing in a circle and they you know lose all sense of time 
time and they're pulled out by someone who says that they've you know been missing for hours. So that missing time component is a very common in both UFO lore, which I'm not going to go into because I assume a fluency in the, with the audience with that, and fairy lore as well. Now, I've been asking everybody about this uh, because it's something that I ran across fairly recently myself. It's been out there for a while, but this whole Mandela effect thing, is, is there some connection there? You know what I'm talking about, I presume? Yeah, I, I do. I don't know if there's a connection there. I, I poo-poo it a little bit less than some people because I've had a couple of things that I very strongly remember. And not like Berenstein, Berenstain, but there's a point in the uh, – I can't remember if it, which James Bond movie it is. Gene probably remembers – where um, the villain Jaws uh, runs into a girl and uh, and they have they share a romantic moment staring at each other. And she smiles. And everybody that I've talked to – my father, myself, remembers her having braces because that's I, yeah. the gag, right? right? That's the gag. Yeah, Go I back and look. It's not, yeah. it's not there. It's not there. What? She, okay. She smiles. She smiles. There's nothing on her teeth. All right. So now I remember the braces thing. I, I talked to a James Bond film podcaster about this, and he's like, yeah, braces. I'm like, no, look again. So that's one of those things that really gives me pause because that's the entire point of the gag. Otherwise, she just smiles and she's you know got a reg- she's got a regular face. She's a pretty girl and like he smiles back. Where, where's the where's okay, where's the wait, yeah, a, where's minute, the wait a minute? Okay, I remember the same thing. Now understand, there are sometimes more than one version of a movie, for whatever reason, different cuts, whatever choices are made. But when you talk about this, I remember the same thing because that is the only reason it makes sense Look that into the it, Richard Keel character. Jaws, who I understand in person was a really, really nice guy, as a lot of these villains are. Mm -hmm. And the woman that he encounters have the same problem with the braces. And that was the big thing about it. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. But as you say, some people say it didn't exist. We're like living in the corner of another reality. But we have just a few seconds left before we go to our final segment, exploring... Who knows what, where, how it tastes, how it smells, what we remember. Was it really there? Joshua Cutchin, Randall Jean, you're in. The Pedagast. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. 
I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists, get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA Pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 877 886 3653. That's 1 877 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. All right, final segment on the Paracast. Chris O'Brien is lost in cell phone purgatory. We don't want to use the other word because this is a nice show on a nice network that's not going to be demonstrated because we may not have enough commercials from women. We'll get there. You know, I think I'll call Erica Lukes and have her read some. She has a really good voice. We'll do that. I'll Hmm. drop her a note. That'll solve the problem. Joshua Cutchin is author of some fascinating books. The Brimstone Deceit is one, of course. The other one is called... A, A Trojan Feast. 
a Trojan feast. There it is. I have it in front of my eyes. And coming up with a brand new book, which may get a title change. We'll have to talk to Patrick and see what he wants to do. I'm going to discuss it with him and and say, don't worry, we'll think of a title. That's the new title of his book. (laughs) Nice. That's right, because they stole the title, Thieves in the Night. The title has been stolen. And why do we see a picture of Charles Fort in the little illustration? I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. Is this uh, on the Anomalous website? Yes. Oh, I believe, if I understand, uh, that is... uh Patrick's placeholder. But if he has uh, that up on the website, I think it's probably a pretty safe bet that it's going to be called Thieves in the Night. So that's uh, that's exciting. Yeah, when you click on the picture, though, there's nothing there. It doesn't tell you anything. Oh, in the words of a great sportsman, it's not over till it's over. So until it's in my hands, I'm not going to say <laughs> exactly what's in there or what the title is or even if it'll actually get printed. I, you know, I, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. Back at the beginning of the show, you kind of alluded that uh, your life had taken a bit of a questionable turn after you started publishing these sort of books here. So uh, what did you mean by that? Oh, you know, it's just it's the sort of thing where I sort of signed up to be looked at oddly at parties and such. I mean, it's not really that big of a deal. I was employed at the University of Georgia School of Music before I made the decision to take this career path, which has been the best decision that I've done. I was applying for several other jobs, and I am pretty sure that at least a couple of them I did not get because uh, they were able to, to discern my interests. And you know, at least, you know, I was a finalist for a couple of them, and I, they just sort of dropped off after they asked me, like after it came out that this is what I did. You know, even even couching it in terms of oh, it's about folklore, it's about speculative nonfiction. I know they went home and they googled it and they found out, you know, that I was writing a book about aliens. So. But, you know, on the, on the flip side, among all my musician friends, they all go, well, what's this UFO thing about? What's this fairy thing about? What the heck's wrong with you? And amongst a lot of my Fortean friends are like, what's this tuba thing about? What's who plays the tuba? <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like I, I, you know, I feel like I'm sort of an outcast everywhere I, I go. That's sort of what I was alluding to. Nothing too, nothing too dark. It's just, uh, again, the climate's changing. People are getting a lot more open to discussing these things. But uh, I think that uh, you have to be prepared for people to give you the side eye when Whenever you actually put your name on something like this, a project like this. Well, I was at the uh, one of the places I hang out and just I take my laptop to the local Indigo, which is our bookstore up here. And they've got Wi-Fi and a Starbucks right in the store. And so I hang out there in the afternoons and I edit the uh, UFO website that I, I take care of and my other books I'm working on. And uh, oftentimes you'll just overhear people talking about something. And I couldn't help but overhear a couple next to me talking about one of these strange uh, disappearances where some there was a fellow who had gone missing off a ski hill and showed up you know a week later several thousand miles away and so I just interjected and and I had looked into that case and it it wasn't quite so mysterious but we got talking and it's really amazing actually how many people are willing to open up once you indicate to them that you have an interest in it as well it it turned out that one of them actually back to this Mandela effect thing because they had never heard of it. I asked them, you know, do you recall Mandela dying in jail or being released from prison and going on to become a leader in South Africa? And one of them said, you know, just they she only remembered him being released, but the older lady remembered them both, like myself. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, there there's some of us that remember actually both, and she said she was just as sort of mystified, kind of like I was because I was thinking, well, what is this? Is this, is this guy an imposter or are they, you know, pulling some kind of political 
maneuver here for optics or just what's going on exactly? Hey, I just saw yeah. this online, folks. Abnormal truth, Moonraker Mandela effect. Dolly had braces. There we go. Now we're, what universe did we just come back to? <laughs> right, I don't know. I'm looking, there's a whole bunch of so things they, online about have they, this. Have they, have they found the footage? But they haven't found the footage of her actually wearing braces. Yeah, he said that someone have, had an old VHS version of the movie and they looked at it. There was no woman with braces. Dolly did not have braces. Yeah, I, uh, that, that one bugs me. And, you know, the thing about the Mandela effect is, I yes, memory is pliable. Memory is fallible. I get that. But some, sometimes people, you'll meet people who have this exact same memory. And again, like for, for that one, for the Dolly thing, it just doesn't make any narrative sense. Otherwise. There's a photo here, by the way, of Richard Keel, Jaws, and Dolly. And what it is, she has very bright teeth. Yeah, but we remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. The, 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 the other one that bugs me that me and my wife both remember is my wife and I both remember, like, we, we were introduced to Sinbad, the comedian, with a genie movie called Shazam. And I can remember that it was not a usual turban, like it was a mushroom-shaped turban. My wife and I both described his exact outfit. And yes, I know about Kazam being a Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal movie. But it's it's just weird to me that... You know, it's it's harder for me to think that that is me conflating something when both my wife and I remember this, and I can picture this in my head. I'm sure that I'm wrong, but it always feels condescending when somebody's like, "No, no, actually, you're remembering Kazam with Sha- Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, and there's no way that they would have." Look, I'm I'm telling you, I realize that that exists. It's like somebody saying, "Oh no, you don't remember um, Volcano, you remember Dante's Peak," or "No, you don't remember Armageddon, you remember Deep Impact." No, I'm pretty sure I I have a very clear picture of this in my mind's eye, and you just wake up one morning and it's not there. So it's yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's my other big one that really made me stop the Berenstein Berenstain thing. Whatever Mandela, I remember him being alive. Uh, Billy Graham, obviously, you know, I I, I remember he's been alive for a long time. And I he think just it, died this past week or so. Right. I think people a lot of times in those issues conflate people who are at death's door and recover with them actually dying. The, the, the Shazam thing and the uh, the Dolly from uh, Moonraker thing are both ones that get really stuck in my craw, so to speak. I'll give you something to make you more confused about Shazam. They are filming a movie called Shazam. And it's the classic comic book character where young Billy Batson says the magic words Shazam and becomes the world's mightiest mortal. That's the original Captain Marvel, not the fake version from Marvel Comics, okay? The original one. Mm -hmm. And Zachary Levi is going to play the grown-up Shazam. Or you can watch the movie serial version, which had one of the best flying special effects from the 1940s. Captain Marvel from 1941 featuring Tom Tyler, a Western star, as Captain Marvel. Joshua Cutchin, where can we find more of the stuff you do in this reality, we hope? <laughs> well, at joshuacutchin.com. If I can get this next draft of the book out, I'm going to start blogging there more, I promise. It's my perennial promise. But there's a couple blogs there. You can I link to all my shows there and some of my music, so you can find me. My, it's my web presence. You can also find me as a semi-regular guest on the Where Did the Road Go podcast at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And uh, I have two books out, The Brimstone Deceit, A Trojan Feast, and an essay in UFOs Reframing the Debate. And my next book, Thieves in the Night, should be coming out no later than the end of this summer. 
And Joshua turns up here too, in this reality. He'll also be back with J. Randall Murphy on After the Paracast because we got more to go. We haven't even started yet. We have got more to go. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. Look for The Paracast. Look for two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. Look for After the Paracast for $1.49 a week, $4.99 a month, $49.99. We like those nines for a full year and special gifts if you subscribe to five years or a lifetime subscription. It's all available. Just check out plus.theparacast.com, the After the Paracast podcast, this show without the network ads, whether read by men, women, or ETs. Better quality audio, except for me, I never change, no matter what happens. Find out more at plus.theparacast.com. Special thank you to Jay Randall Murphy for being our guest co-host on, as usual, short notice. Joshua Cutchin, thank you for coming on the Paracast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Gene. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.